Hello, and welcome to Real Time Strategy, a podcast all about the gaming industry. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Mosier, joined once again by my co-host, Caitlin Redwing. How are you doing today? I am good. My voice is back. Um, <laughs> as it cracks as I say that. Um, no, I'm, I'm doing well. I am glad to be here, and we've got a very cool guest today that I'm excited to talk to. Yeah, the cold you know, went away, gave you your voice back right in time, because this week we're joined by IGN Events Editorial Manager and Indie Game Champion, Rob Manuel. Thank you so much for joining us, Rob. How are you doing today? Thank you for having me. I'm uh, I'm doing really well. It's a, it's a great time to be in games right now, and just looking at all the great games uh, coming out now as well as in the future. So thank you. Yeah, I can't think of anyone better to have on the show to talk about all of the great and easily missed games coming out than you. So excited to talk about that. Uh, so, but first, as always, when we have somebody new on the show, we like to ask them some get to know you questions. So, Rob, we're going to start with the classic. What are your favorite games of all time? Oh, man, favorite games of all time. I think uh, classical uh, games would probably be in the Final Fantasy VI category. Nice. Uh, one of the, one of my definite favorites, uh, Secret of Mana. Uh, I would say Chrono Trigger would be also there in the classics. Uh, but some modern ones, I think, would be uh, Journey has been a really big game for me. Uh, Minecraft, uh, I would say probably Binding of Isaac in all of its many, many, many iterations. <laughs> I probably sunk way too, too much time into that game. And yeah, I mean, I'm really excited about like all sorts of games. And I just find new ones all the time to uh, really really enjoy and get excited about so i think right now my new love affair happens to be with uh immortality mm. and uh tunic oh i love tunic i have this thing across all mediums like i cut best of the year trackers like a what movie what show and then in this case like what games do i need to play before the end of the year and immortality and tunic are very high on said list they are two very, very different. That's titles, also true. <laughs> but I feel like they also do something where it's like they look at the genre or they look at the form in which the games are taking and they try to move outside of those forms. So you find that both with Tunic and the way that it uses sort of external uh, information as well as immortality which also has this sort of like other information that you sort of have to dig into in order to understand the really deeper meaning and richer form of the game i totally forgot about immortality i had to look it up and i remember seeing the trailer for this earlier this year and i was like what a cool concept for a game and forgot about it so thank you so much for bringing it back up so that i can immediately <laughs> buy it on steam as two immense movie lovers here on yes. the show, Rob, Caitlin, and I, I, I could not think of a game that is more up our alleys. <laughs> it is truly a love affair of movies as well as movie making. Uh, there are so many ways, so many different levels that you can sort of read the game going into it. So I think you'll have a really good time, but it is a very dark ride that you are going into. Yeah, I've heard it. I've heard it go some places, but immense props to Sam Barlow, who has been on a three for three hit streak between her story, Telling Lies, and now this. It's exciting to see him kind of redefine what an FMV game can be and, you know, earn its place in kind of like, you know, critical praise. Whereas I feel like often that was a genre that was kind of derided among a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like everything that he's been doing and sort of the ways that he has been approaching each one of them has been very interesting from her story, looking at like how people tell stories, how people tell personal stories, to telling lies, how people interact with each other uh, in the game in which you can only hear one side, literally one side of the story or conversation at a time and now with immortality understanding 
sort of the stories we leave behind as well as the stories that we sort of tell ourselves. Mm. Ooh, I love that. I'm excited to play. I believe both of those games, uh, Tunic and Immortality, are both Game Pass titles. This um, is true. So not an ad, but if you are do happen to be a Game Pass subscriber, go check those out. Now, Rob, another, I mean, as mentioned with these two games, uh, you are uh, a big, I feel, kind of tastemaker in the space for, you know, indie games, what's upcoming, what's coming out. You're a great follow on Twitter to kind of keep in the loop on those things. For people who maybe only know gaming for the big AAA releases, do you have go-to indie game recommendations of how to branch out of the mainstream space, per se? Well, I think it's tough. Uh, to necessarily have like that one game that you can always just sort of like pull out of your back pocket and just sort of like give someone because everyone wants something that's very different from games and gaming. And I feel like that is sort of the genius or sort of the, the thing that I find most attractive about indie games is that you can find a game out there that is for everyone or that will take you to different places that you wouldn't necessarily know going into it. So like everything from your first person shooters to your uh, narrative games, uh, your mysteries, I feel like there's there's so many like different layers and uh, different things that you possibly do going into it. Uh, typically I, I always ask, it's like, well, what are some of the games that you're playing or what are some of the things that you're most interested in, uh, in order to, to see what's going on or some, to experience some of the things that they're looking for. And so, uh, I would, I would say it, it always depends. It always, always has to say like, what is out there? Like for me, like a game, like, uh, Outer, Outer Wilds, I think, is such an immense and beautiful game of exploration and discovery, but also it is a game that not a lot of people could get behind if they're looking for really tight ship controls or to do things exactly on the spot. Uh, I always tell people Outer Wilds is sort of the game that's sort of like the uh, the dark souls of walking <laughs> simulators, uh, because you are going to die constantly. And that's kind of part of the game is that your death is, has sort of meaning that goes into it. Uh, I mean, you can easily go into something like Slay the Spire, which I think is another great sort of game that is a deck builder where you are having to put in this, you know, strategy and one card at a time as you are like developing your character but not everyone uh sort of thinks in that way or wants to be constrained in such very sort of like main ideas and so for me like to find you know find a person or if someone asks me it's like hey i really want to get into indie games or i really want to see what's out there i always ask them it's like okay what movies are you watching what books are you reading like what are you interested in doing and so that could be you know that could be the difference between a stanley parable or uh you know a, a norco or a nobody saves the world which are all like fantastic games but they're fantastic games for their own reasons um i'm gonna take a like a snippet of everything you said about the outer wilds and now share that because i played that game earlier this year and i just keep like recommending it to people but all i've said was don't look up anything about it just go in blind and trust me because i think it's like the less you know about that game, the better. But then some people are like, well, then why would I play it? Like, if I don't really know what it's about, because I'm even hesitant to tell people like, oh, you're going to die a lot because I didn't know. I just like had heard about that game in this like stratosphere and I saw it on sale one day and I was like, I'm going to play it because um, I always kept getting it confused with the outer worlds. And I was like, <laughs> I need to finally distinct the two in my brain. No, no, and that's and that's part of the other thing. There's so many great games, but you also can't 
talk about them. Mm. Uh, you know, obviously the the outer outer wilds, even uh, immortality. Uh, as much as I've told you, like I'm very much skirting <laughs> the the sides of this sort of conversation, and there has to be like some point in which everyone has to like come together and be like, okay, when did you find the thing that I think you found? Or when did you notice when this happened? Or when did this happen for you? Mm-hmm. And that's also, you know, again, I think it's sort of like the the sort of the genius within indie games is that there are so many different ways or so many different moments where it's like, oh, I never knew something like that would happen. Or uh, I never discovered that going into it. And so it feels very personal and almost feels like uh very very like created for yourself being created for you as a gamer uh i keep on thinking about the stanley parable ultra deluxe that that came out this year and i'm kind of marveled at you know i've i went through the game and i've gone through like you know several different iterations and i've sort of like found the ending to it but going back and looking at other people's like playthroughs there are chunks and songs and jokes and things that like hours of content that you may never find in your playthrough of the game that is just absolutely astounding but it's it's sort of the part of like what what makes indie games so unique is that they're willing to take a chance to tell a story that you may never discover all the pieces for or they're willing to give you and put you into an environment that you sort of have to figure out yourself how to get out of it. And it is it is brilliant in the way that they sort of like address these things. So I'm curious to kind of continue this indie game thought experiment. You asked or uh, you were saying if, if somebody were to ask you for a recommendation of getting into indies, you would ask them, oh, what are they what are they watching? What are they reading right now? And mm-hmm. I feel like culturally we're in a really big fantasy kick. Two of the biggest shows on air right now are House of the Dragon and The Rings of Power, the Lord of the Rings uh, show. Um, a lot of people at you know that listen to the show I know watch those programs. Uh, Netflix is fully behind The Witcher. There's a prequel show coming out this holiday season. Rob, for the fantasy fans out there, <laughs> any indie game recommendations that come to mind? I mean, if you're looking at fantasy, uh, obviously you, you got to talk about uh, Hades. Mm. Uh, is probably one of your one of your bigger sort of like fantasy uh, big characters, uh, families in conflict, uh, sort of like big things that are happening. Uh, I think. One of the things that really makes Hades fantastic is like death. Death is okay in Hades. Uh, I mean, mostly because I mean that is that is where the dead are. But <laughs> to to have something in in uh, in Hades where you get to reflect on the things that you've been doing and to have these conversations with different characters as you're coming back like it's no longer a humph i have to go back to the place that i was just uh previously at humph i really you know dislike you know being here i have to go back it feels like a punishment it's almost a joy because you have to go back and it's like oh i wonder if uh you know who, who am I going to meet next? Can I pet my dog a couple more times? <laughs> what is my father going to say to me? What is the new sort of twist that comes into it? Oh, I've been fishing. Now I can take all these fish and give it to the, uh, to the cook because the cook's been waiting for these fish going into it. And so there are all these bits and pieces that really make dying enjoyable within the game so that you can feel like it is it is almost a part of it and you can actually be you can open up bits of the story as you're sort of like in that place so i would say obviously you know uh i know it is it is a uh is a 
very much loved title, but I think it is still one of the best uh, fantasy games out there if you are someone who does love uh, a little a little drama with your action. <laughs> And some and, hot characters too. Yeah. And oh, only the hottest, the hottest <laughs> character. I. That's what I. That's another thing that I really enjoy about uh, indie games is like you can you can find characters that you can be like, oh, that's that's very, those are very attractive characters. Uh, Boyfriend Dungeon, I think, is mm-hmm. is such a great idea where it's like you date your weapons, <laughs> and like you could actually have sort of not just like fall in love with like oh the sword is really good but now like you're taking your sword out to uh ice cream at the at the mall that you've been like fighting spiders in the whole time uh and it's it's sort of this you know you can you can have these sort of like emotional uh interactions and these emotional sort of like uh, almost like like duels mm-hmm. uh, with people, which I think is which is which is really nice. It's it's nice to, you know, it's not always like swords and sorcery, but sometimes it is also the the means of the heart, which are often the toughest games. Yeah, Hades was my first roguelike. Um, before Hades, I probably would have said like I'm not interested in that genre. I am not. I don't want to die all the time and just like you said that game made me purposefully die at times because I was just like oh I was like I know I'm not going to make it to the end this round I was like so let me just like go and see if Thanatos is standing there or let me go talk to Meg so I'm just going to like die purposefully and go back to the house of Hades Um, so huge fan of that game I just replayed that for the second time this year and had a lot of fun and oh the voice acting and the music in that game just everything about it is perfectly done yeah such a great recommendation it too i think was my first at least the first roguelike i fully was locked into so addicted uh like you said rob the way it the story rewards and even in, in to a degree incentivizes or makes you feel a lot less bad for dying is i think kind of that twist on the genre i was waiting for yeah Yeah, (laughs) i'll go ahead rob no 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 absolutely i think uh you know for me roguelikes are always about you know getting a second chance to start over again and to to try things out to try new things that you never thought going into it uh i think there's a lot of different different games out there for different roguelikes and rogue lights depending on what is your flavor of rogue <laughs> going into it but i think there's there's definitely something there uh hades i think does a just absolutely beautiful job of making every every time you go in sort of like a very special and a very feels meaningful uh even even switching some of the boons that you get while you're going through so Rob, tell me where did your lo- where and how did your love of indie games begin? Uh, I I would say that I've always loved games. And so my my love of indie games uh, has always I, I guess has always been around. It was just never like indie or like like different sort of games. I just remember working uh you know back in the day uh there was there was a uh cable show uh cable network called g4 and uh, a show on g4 xplay and i worked for xplay as a i worked my way up so i was uh, pa all the way up to uh senior producer and i I remember one of the the end of the year sort of uh, best of awards, you know, uh, like you were saying, like getting your list together and sort of like figuring out what were the best games that you played that year. And I distinctly remember one year that uh, there was a game, uh, there was a little indie game called uh, World of Goo. 
and if you haven't played World of Goo, it is basically the story of these uh, a factory that makes these goo, goo balls. And these goo balls stick to each other. And basically, you can make little towers out of them. Uh, it's almost like a little erector set uh, of sticks that you can sort of like move between each one. And you are basically building up these towers or solving these problems by using these little goo balls in order to reach a funnel where you then suck up the, the goo balls that you didn't use in order to solve the problem. So basically you are both using these ball, these little goo things in order to build stuff, but you also need to be mindful of how much building material you have in order to get to the end. And it's, it's still like a delightful, wonderful sort of game. It came out of like the, the flash era when it was called tower of goo. <laughs> and I remember like, pitching it to the group where they were like, hey, is there a chance that we could put this into like a list or like the best of? Because I really fell in love with like the ability to build things in order to solve problems. And that was very neat. And that was very uh, unique to me at that time. And they were, it was one of those things that no one had played it before. And they, decided it was was just not enough to be on the list and so at that point it was it was like oh there are games that no one's gonna play because it just doesn't make a list and so from then on i was very interested in all these other games that don't make lists out there and after, you know, one after another, you start to get these experiences. You start to find these new titles. You start to find new developers or new ideas that are out there. And it just becomes this sort of like explosion of games that you do find now. And even now, I, I would say that it's, it's a constant surprise of what can come out into the world and what people just don't they don't know about or they don't expect or don't, they don't even think about that's going to be out there and so for me it's always trying to be like okay how do you tell a story or how do you sort of like send a message in order to get uh maybe it's a smaller group or maybe it's a larger group in order to understand the things that you want to be doing that they want but they just don't know they already have that's funny that you say that you tell that story about g4 tv because that's you know where i feel like a lot of gamers perceptions of indie games was especially at least like 15 years ago you think like if you were to read you know, the best of the year article, there would be the best games of the year and then best downloadable game of the year mm. or best Xbox Live Arcade game of the year. And that's why I remember it was such a huge deal in 2012 when IGN gave Journey. It was just in the best of the year, um, you know, category and it won. And I remember that was I, I, registering that as such a huge deal at the time. And that's what got me to check out that game. And like you said, Rob, it is too one of my favorite games of all time. And um, so... Uh, well, I still feel like there's some sort of, you know, the, the the cards are still stacked in a lot of, you know, AAA's games favor to win the best of the year title. I'm thankful that at least, you know, indie games are still in, the, in that category with them. They don't need their own, you know, separate pool. Absolutely. And I, I think there's a lot of games out there that are going to resonate with people on a very particular level. I mean, there could be games, you know, your like games that maybe not are the best or not the shiniest, or maybe games that do have their flaws, but they're telling a story that are very, that is very meaningful to the person at that time who's sort of like, who is there. And that's, you know, that's sort of what encourages me to keep going. It's like, there are so many different ways and so many different stories that are out there that we can be telling through these games that 
uh, I kind of just look forward to the next story or the, the next twist uh, coming out of uh, indie games. So whether it's at G4TV, starting with the World of Goose story, and you've worked at the Indie Mega Booth, Game mm-hmm. Trailers, you're very, you're always highlighting something cool on your Twitter. How do you find indie games and how do you choose which ones kind of stand out and, you know, you bring a spotlight to? It's tough, honestly. Um, it's it's a lot of, honestly, it's a lot of trial and error. Like it's, it's having done this for, God, I'm at, I'm at 16 years, 17 years now. Uh, and just trying to understand and listen to people uh, what they what they want about games or what they like about games. Uh, one of the things that I often, I still do, is I listen to a lot of, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to a lot of video game podcasts. Uh, You're in good company. Yeah. I, <laughs> But I also listen to them in a way that it's like, I want to hear what, what what is the first thing out of their mouths when they're speaking about a game? What is What are like the adjectives or what are the verbs? Where's, what's the thing that's important to them? Like, what's a, what is the part of the game that's going to push something from a three out of five to a four out of five, or maybe even a five out of five to it? Uh, what is the part of the game that they can go into and be like, hey, this isn't a great game, but I enjoyed it. And you start to listen and you start to see what's going on. And it sort of becomes that that thing where you start to look at games in a way that you're almost wanting to strip like bits and pieces of it out and just sort of like, okay, what, what here is the thing that people are going to grasp onto. Is it going to be the story? Is it going to be the look? Is it going to be the feel? Is it the experience that's coming into it? Uh, I mean, something like, uh, was it uh, Vampire Survivors? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of the biggest breakout hits of the year. I mean, you look at that game and it looks like the 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 Castlevania that the mom your mom says that you know you already have Castlevania at home <laughs> you know but it's genius like the game is genius in the way that it uses its the tools that it has it's genius in the way that it uses the world the weapons the unlockables the sort of secrets that goes into it and even the community itself that is built around the game, I think is an absolute genius move on their part. And it's sort of almost part of the reason why you see all these other games sort of come out of the pack and they're trying to replicate what it's doing. But I think it still stands far beyond and above those games, even if you can replicate a lot of the feeling that you have, a lot of the story and the mechanisms and how it sort of like encourages you to dive into a community that wants to help you to solve problems and to get through it and to sort of share wins with other people, I think really makes it uh, a game that sort of uh, stands beyond what you would see to begin with. That that's great. Um, oh, I'm like losing my train of focus. Oh, I've found it. <laughs> um, when you are kind of listening to what people are grasping from games that maybe aren't perfect, but something about them really makes them shine. Have you found any trends in what people really like about certain games? Is it the story? Is it just doing something different? Or does it really just depend on the person and the game? I There are a lot of trends, actually. Um, I think a lot of people are looking for different things, different needs that are being not met within certain games they've been going into. Uh, 
and they they look for those those needs or those sort of like areas to get into. I think one of the biggest trends uh, right now is of I guess it it's sort of like mid core. I don't know if that is uh, if that is like a big you know a big topic that a lot of people are talking about or not right now. But mid core sort of is that that like gray region between your your hardcore you know games your you know really tough your dark souls those games that you know uh you know people people point to and be like that's a game and then you also have sort of that the casuals and so you have all of these sort of like very very light, very sort of like planning and planting and sort of uh, your three gem connecting sort of games that are out there. But now you also have like a group of people who started in casual and they kind of want something a little bit more, a little bit meatier to get into. As well as you have a lot of people who maybe you know, before they were active gamers, but now you have you have jobs, you have nine to fives, you have uh, a family, you have kids, you have multiple kids that you have to take care of. And so you don't have really the time to spend on those bigger titles to uh, really invest and get what you want out of them in uh, you know, the time you need it. You don't have like 40 hours to pop into games or a hundred hours to pop into games. And so there's a new sort of like trend of mid-core games that are sort of like starting to sprout up that give a little bit more teeth to sort of like, you know, the, the softer games that are out there, but also take a lot of the the items from the the bigger games and sort of reduce them down into something that's a little bit easier to digest, something that you only have to pay, play for like 30 minutes or 45 minutes to only to get like a full sort of like game into. And you don't have to like keep spending time in order to be a part of something. And I think that's one of the bigger trend, especially in the mobile game market, but also you see it within sort of consoles. And I would even throw, you know, Vampire Survival into sort of that, uh, uh, that sort of like mid-tier, that, that mid-market where if there is a bit of thought that's going into it, but you can also listen to a podcast while you're playing it. So that's, that's what I do. I play Power Wash Simulator and I listen yeah. to audiobooks and I didn't even, uh, I didn't think about the mid-core genre because I do find myself playing a lot of those games as you were talking. I was like, oh, that's basically every game that's on Apple Arcade, <laughs> which I pay yeah. for and yeah. I play on my iPad all the time. And mm -hmm. yeah, I you've just like opened up a part of my brain that I was like, oh yeah, because I, I know about the casual games and match three and I've played those and I I know like that's really popular with some of my family members and I mean it's popular with millions of people. Um but yeah, normally I'd be like, no, I don't play midcore games and then you were explaining it and I was like, <laughs> oh wait, no, I've spent a lot of time on those kinds of games because And they're great. They're great. They're fantastic. But I could just kind of like shut my mind off and have fun. And the thing is, like casual games, they're great too. And like big AAA games, they're great. Yeah. All games are great. I'm not trying to stop people from playing games. Play more games. Play as many games as I play. Uh, <laughs> because I play like five or six a week and it's fantastic. Uh, because I just want to see... It's, it's great to have like a little taste of everything to sort of experience stuff and see what other people are thinking when they're like, okay, this is, this is a new way to tell this story, or this is a new way to have this experience, or this is a new way that we want people to sort of see this world that we are developing. 
And from that mid-court kind of trend, I think that kind of partly explains this boom of farming simulators with, you know, some RPG elements thrown in there or some sort of, or maybe some combat, like, you know, that's, you know, it kind of became a meme, but that's what largely defined the most recent Nintendo Direct. But clearly there's an appetite for these type of games that have that deep, you know, those deep mechanics if you want them or there's something you can play 10 minutes of per day while you're between work and, you know, your evening obligations. But we've seen that even some of the farming games have like added new twists. I was I had to look up the name that <laughs> the Lightyear Frontier with the, the mech, the mech farming, farming game. game. The mech like, farming game. It reminded me of that episode of Love, Death and Robots on Netflix. I think it's in volume one. But there's a whole Oh yeah. Yep, there's a whole episode. And it's even the art style, it looks like it would be a cinematic trailer for basically this game where it is farmers that have to wear mech suits because there are alien invasions. <laughs> and maybe someone watched that episode and was like, ah, oh, we should make a game. They probably were already making it, but it's, it's a good idea and adds a nice twist to a genre that is beloved by many people. There are so many games out there that do just that. Uh, I was going to say, I would also add like Cult of the Lamb as mm-hmm. as sort of that sort of end as well is that you are trying to develop uh, you're basically farming like the biggest thing is that you are having to feed a bunch of people who are there but if you wanted to you could go and you know destroy uh other creatures or you could go through dungeons in order to get what you're looking for so yeah absolutely I... all of that I didn't realize how much more time I would be spending farming and in my little <laughs> cult in that game compared to like the dungeon. I was like, oh, it's going to be another roguelike dungeon master. And I was like, oh, my God, no, I have to feed all of my little cultists and make sure it's cute and that they have food. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, Simon Carlos, uh, who does a game discovery newsletter, has written a lot about finding kind of this is me applying my own analogy to his writing, but like the peanut butter to the chocolate of like what genres are popular. And I think that's what we're seeing a lot, and especially this kind of mid-core or specifically like farming games of like, okay, it's this, but here's the unique twists on it. And I think that's where you've seen so much success with games like Cult of the Lamb this year. Absolutely. Uh, Rob, I was curious, you were talking about kind of this reverse engineering of listening to podcasts and identifying those factors that make a game special to people talking about them. I'm curious for the, you know, the PR folks and the game devs out there listening, is that a similar strategy you find can be applied for them trying to get people's attention for these games? Like boiling down, you know, as, as, as cynical as that sounds to like the, the, the essence of what makes this game special, is that how they get your attention? Oh, absolutely. Like it is... Uh, when, you know, working with uh, Indie Megabooth, we would have uh, 70, 80 developers at a time. And so it's talking to the, those developers and being like, okay, let's, let's you know, go through your pitch. Let's figure out what are, what are the things that make your game exciting? Because I've played through your game. I know what those things are. But I want to hear from you. Like, what, is, what are the different things that you find most intriguing or exciting about your game? And so you do want to put like that forward. You do want to have that uh, peanut butter and chocolate <laughs> sort of flavor as you were talking about. But you also want to put like, you know, what is that twist? Because everyone's doing peanut butter and chocolate. Like everyone knows peanut butter and chocolate is fantastic. <laughs> but it's like, okay, maybe it's like a sparkler on it. Or maybe it's like better graphics. Or maybe it's, uh, we've now included dating sim into this or maybe we have put in a really deep story about uh losing loved ones you know it is understanding it really is about understanding your game and understanding how people talk about games uh out there which i think is important for both pr and for game developers who are looking to reach out to people and with that you also can start thinking about those groups themselves and think about, okay, if I am someone who, 
is looking for a mid-core. Maybe I'm looking for a farming game. Maybe I'm looking for uh, a romance game or things like that. Where do I go? Like, what does my day look like? Where Where am I on the internet? Like, who am I looking for? Who do I trust when it comes to talking about games or talking about things that I should be doing? Uh, where do I go and how do I tap into that group? Because I feel like as we as the internet sort of like changes, uh, everyone sort of starts to shift around like where their focus is on the internet. Like it used to be like, oh, you need to be on the front page of Steam in order to get people to recognize where you are. Well, now everyone's Steam front page is a little bit different because Steam will now uh, fix it. So the things that you looked at or things that you like are now on your front page. So. Uh, that doesn't necessarily work anymore. Uh, maybe we need a YouTube video. Well, everything, everyone's got a YouTube video now. Maybe we need to stream it. Well, everyone has a stream now. Well, what do we need to do? We need to put up like some socials and a tweet. Well, everyone tweets now. Uh, you know, how, how do you sort of like, how do you sort of move through the noise? How do you move through the, the, the din, uh, that is the, the internet and what matters to people when it comes to making decisions about experiences that they want to have uh, on their downtime. Because, you know, time time is a resource uh, that you can't get back. So uh, it's, it becomes very precious and it becomes something that uh, people think about. Uh, I think that's a lot of reasons why we see games now have longer tales to them or uh, these games as a service because it's like, well, why do I wanna like spend time playing a game or have an experience that I don't quite know about when I can be a part of this community that makes me feel good already or I can go play with my friends and, and group up and do this thing that I need a group in order to do or uh, you know, have a conversation with the people I know on Twitter or in my Discord or on Slack uh, because everyone's going to be talking about X game, uh, for the next week or so. So, yeah. You just gave a, a crash course in basically how to get your game out there if you cannot afford and don't have PR. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, it's tough. It is, it is honestly, it is a difficult, it's a difficult place out there. It is. And I think there's. I would say the best thing to do is to look at look at the different ways that people want to interact with not just your game but like the world around your game like the community or the stories that you're telling or the players that you're sort of inviting to that game because I think that's part of the world now is like oh I want to you know I want to sort of like be a part of this group or I want to feel like uh you know I want to be in esports or I want to be uh you know the the guy or the girl or whoever the player that gets the reward later on I want to be the person who figures out the the puzzle for the uh on my first guess so now my Twitter feed tells everyone that I figured out the puzzle on the first guess and that my, the word that I use in order to find all the other words in the puzzle is always the best or something like that. Yeah. Mine was not because today Wordle took me five tries. <laughs> I'm still doing it. No, that those are all very good points and just, yeah, really finding your market, finding your audience, because indie games, your audience is not every single player out there. It is a very, you have a very targeted and niche community. And if you find that and engage with them, then mm -hmm. that will be, that will help you succeed. Um, we, we've mentioned a few times on this podcast already about the indie mega booth, but we actually haven't explained what that is. And for any <laughs> of our listeners who don't know, Rob, can you... Talk a little bit about what the Indie Mega Booth is, um, maybe how yeah. it got started or how you got involved with it. Sure, absolutely. Uh, the Indie Mega Booth uh, was started by Kelly Wallach, 
uh, of IGF, uh, ex-IGF chairwoman fame. Uh, and basically the idea was that buying booth space, because if you go to PAX, which is typically where they went to, booth space is at a premium. And so it can, can charge you like tens of thousands of dollars just to get a like a square a place a you know a floor and that's not including power that's not including carpets that's not including chairs or tables or tvs or all the other things that go into presenting games and so the indie mega booth started out as a bunch of developers who basically bought body space a you know one space going into it and then uh broke that up into many little spaces uh and they made uh they made a road they made i think the first time was in pax east i want to say and it was like it was like a row of a dozen or so developers who just sort of huddled together. They had like little TVs and they just showed off their games. And it was a way to like sort of bring bring a lot of indie games, people who couldn't afford large spaces to an area that was just, you could only be there if you bought a large space. And then, uh, you know, for about nearly a decade, they would, by the spaces got bigger and bigger, more indies came into it. And you were looking at upwards to 70, 80, even 100 indie developers uh, showing off video games uh, at various states, uh, VR games, board games, uh, you name it. Like there were so many different titles there and some, some of the some of the games that people just loved uh, were first shown at the Indie Mega Booth. Yeah, you have on your website um, some games that I didn't know were at the Indie Mega Booth, but all games that I love and know a lot of people love, such as Gang Beasts and Don't Starve, Dead Cells, Disco Elysium, Monster Prom. It's definitely if you are at any... Um, any of the events that the Indie Mega Booth is at, such as PAX East, definitely check it out. There are probably some future cult classics that will be showcased. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, the Indie Mega Booth had to shut down uh, for for COVID uh, reasons. And, is it and so? Is it coming back? I I do not know. Okay. Kelly is the only one with the keys to that one. Uh, I would love for Indie Mega Booth to come back. I think it is such a great sort of uh, way to discover games. But I feel like there's a lot of other places now to discover indie games, as well as there are so many other like really great sort of groups who have sort of come forward, like The Mix, for example, I think is a great sort of group that have come together. Uh, Day of the Devs, which is happening in a couple of weeks, uh, is also uh, a wonderful place in order to see indie games. Uh, finding indie, ga indie games doesn't always have to be in a physical space. It can sometimes be in a digital space. I mean, even with uh, the, uh, the, the Steam steam fest that's going on right now that they've said that they're going to do every quarter uh they're looking at hundreds and hundreds of of indie games that you can try demos out for right now and there's so many like really great demos and experiences and stories within that world that you do uh you do need to dive into it in order to find what you're looking for but there's plenty of Plenty of games in there doing very unique things that you wouldn't find anywhere else. Yeah, you make a good point, Rob, about um, just the explosion. I, I wouldn't say necessarily the pandemic caused it, but I feel it definitely did amplify the amount of digital opportunities and avenues um, for indie games to 
get the word out about themselves. Like, at least from a personal perspective, I learned about Day of the Devs through Summer Game Fest, which, you know, kind of came about because of the pandemic. I learned about the Steam Next Fest because I was stuck at home looking for, you know, games to play. Uh, the Mix, they did their kind of Gorilla Collective uh, E3 showcases, and they've continued to do them. And so it's really exciting to see all these new ways. And there's the Wholesome Game Showcase. Like you said, it's about finding your audience and plugging in where it makes most sense to try to reach the people that your game's going to be of interest to. Absolutely. And this episode will go out Friday. So actually the the next fest is going on right now on Steam. So there are tons of new demos for games and live streams. Mm-hmm. I think it goes through the 10th. I think so, yeah. It's, it's fantastic. They have absolutely the most... Uh, Hundreds, hundreds of demos uh, that you need to check out. So speaking of these digital events for indie games, looking at where indies fit in the physical game space right now in this new landscape, I went to my first PAX a couple months ago. I went to PAX West. Um, What would your advice be to indie developers in terms of if they're looking to go to a physical event now, what should they be looking to get out of it? And B, what should their expectations be? I think uh, going into an event space now, uh, you are you need to set goals. You need to sit down with yourself and have those hard conversations <laughs> uh, about okay, if we're gonna go here, we're gonna need to get like X number of eyes, or we're gonna need to get X number of people signing up for the email. Uh, we need X number of people trying out the demo, things like that. Uh, I would say definitely, look, always go for emails. Emails are, everyone has one. Uh, you know, uh, think about like just being able to get in touch with someone like a month after or two months after, I think is great. A uh, wish list, obviously, if you're on Steam or something like that, is great. Uh, just think about what that experience looks like for you as well as the person who's sort of like randomly roaming around the event uh looking for games uh one of the things that i've been telling a lot of indie developers is try out a buddy system where uh if you are going to an event uh find another developer who has a game like your game or has sort of like the same sort of like audience that you have and just buddy up where you'd be like look if you help me out i'll help you out so if they come to your game or people are waiting for your game an easy way to do is like hey you know such and such also has a very similar game uh you can go check out their game as well if you're looking for something that's very much like this Mm -hmm. Uh, where you're sort of sharing the whole thing. Uh, You can make a whole game out of it. Uh, One of the great things that I always saw was like passports. People would make little passports for different places and they would have like raffles that would go out. And so you can make your own little like uh, passport raffle where everyone has a little stamp that, that you get for actually playing the demo of the game. And then they put down their email on the on the passport, uh, submit it with all the stamps, and then you make a random drawing for like maybe some free games or maybe who knows what. Uh, you get an email out of it as well as you know a bunch of people who are now like really excited to you know at least play your game. They're gonna give it a chance because now there's something to gain out of it. Hopefully through the passport system. Um, yeah, I mean I would say. Think about think about just different ways that you can sort of like bring about what you are doing, uh, or even think about different places to go. Uh, I had a friend of mine who happened to have a cat um, card game where you uh, you cause mischief in the house, <laughs> uh, and the idea was that you were trying to gain points uh by causing enough mischief with these cards but if you cause too much 
and you got kicked out of the house and so on and so forth. And so instead of going to like a board game convention or anything like that, he actually went to a cat <laughs> uh, convention and he sold out of the sold out of it because no one there had even thought about it and they all love cats. So <laughs> think about other things and other places that you can show off your game uh, or other ways. Uh, again, going back to like what makes your game cool? What makes your game stand out? Who are the people who are looking for these experiences in your game? I think are always big sort of things to think about when both making and marketing your game. Yeah, we um, actually even Another idea, and this is something we've done for some of our clients this year, is sometimes you don't even have to be at the convention if that's too much um, budget that you just can't allocate. We've had clients go to the same cities and just hosted we like a happy hour party. Um, we did one for PAX East and West at a ping pong bar, um, but it was like all ages and people just came. They played ping pong. We had demos set up food, drinks. I mean, it was a lot of fun. Got a lot of visibility with influencers and some press and people in the industry. And it was a lot cheaper than buying booth space at an event. So there are definitely many options you can do. Um, you can rent a suite, do demos. We've done that for JDC and other places just because of the location of where those events are. Sometimes there are reporters who are in the same city and they're not going to the event. So they're happy to go to a hotel suite and try your game. Absolutely. Those are, those are all great ideas. Like you don't have to be someone who's inside of the event to be sort of a part of the event. And you see that so many times with uh, uh, Comic-Con, uh, you like all of, all of, basically all of San Diego becomes like a part of Comic-Con. Every, every bar, every art, art gallery, every place that you could possibly go to now becomes something for someone else. <laughs> well, Rob, any other indie tips or recommendations you want to leave the listeners with before we close out this week's episode? Um, I would say just the the one of the best things that you can do with for indie games is to share uh be open uh let people know what you what you ex you like be let people know what you're checking out like be be a fan be be someone who's out there rooting for indie games because i think indie games more than anything needs champions out there people who are willing to give them a chance or to be the first person out there who is going to uh be the one to shine a little spotlight on them you're not always going to be the most popular or be the person who is the i would say probably the 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 is going to get the most attention out there because of what you're doing but you, whatever you're putting out there could be the thing that someone else finds that when they post it or maybe their friends post it hundreds of thousands of other people get to uh get to enjoy and get to uh really uh love what is there uh yeah, I, I think that's just it. Like, just be be a fan. Try out new things. Have fun. One quick thing, because I don't know if we mentioned it, but Rob's Indie Game Discovery Excel sheet is actually pinned on his Twitter account. I Yes. If yes. you want to check it out, it's got some of his best of indie games of 2022, games to look forward to, game, indie games that have recently come out, and more. It is really a great resource if you are looking for indie games. So definitely check that out and check out Rob's Twitter account, which now that I'm talking about it, Rob, where can people find you on social media? I'm on uh, Twitter at 8BitWiz. So that is the number eight. B-I-T-W-I-Z. Uh, yeah, you can find all of my stuff there. I frequently will retweet 
uh, indie games, anything that I happen to find, or things that I discover, even other people who also uh, post about indie games. Uh, I will also repost them because I think, uh, you know, part of part of being someone who is trying to support indie games is also trying to support the people who support indie games. So, yeah. yeah speaking of being an indie game champion, yeah, could not be a better follow. 8BitWiz on Twitter. Caitlin, where can people find you? They can find me also on Twitter, just at Caitlin Redwing. And I talk about games, but I mostly talk about movies because my work and day life contains games. So <laughs> it just seems that my Twitter ends up being focused on movies and TV. You can find me on Twitter at Sam Scott Mosier. You can find this show at Real Time Strats. You can email us questions at podcast at triplepointpr.com. Uh, this has been a Triple Point production. If you want to see the agency's full client roster, you can view that at triplepointpr.com. And on that note, Rob, thank you once again so much for coming on the show and sharing A, some amazing game recommendations, and B, some great tips for uh, indie game makers out there. Of course, anytime. All right. All right. And on that note, thank you all so much for listening. Thank you, everyone.